The following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to talk to us, continuing in our series together entitled Wiser, I want to talk to us about wisdom for relationships in our life, the wisdom for our relationships. This year, we're talking about the importance of becoming wiser people, the value of developing wisdom. And there's a definition for wisdom that we've been using together. I'm going to ask us to put it on the screen. You'll see it in just a moment. And I'm going to invite all of us to read it again together because it gives us a starting point in terms of what wisdom is. So let's read as a congregation together all of our campuses. Here we go. Wisdom is the accumulation and possession of knowledge, truth, guiding principles, moral precepts, right values, proper priorities, good sense, and prudent judgment from God's perspective and the ability to practically apply these to everyday life and decisions. Wisdom, having wisdom is not just being smart. There are a lot of intellectually smart people that are not very wise. Wisdom goes beyond that. The wisdom that we see from the Bible is a wisdom that relates to God's perspective of life, how you and I are to really live life, and not just to know that, but to actually begin to do it. You're not a wise person because you know something. You're a wise person because you actually do something. You take the wisdom that you have, the knowledge that you have, and you apply it. And there's perhaps no area of life where it is more important for us to have wisdom and to have fulfillment than in the realm of our relationships. I have learned, as I'm sure many of you have, that in terms of life, there's no area of life that will provide you more fulfillment and joy than your relationships, and there's no area of life that will provide you so much pain and trouble as your relationships. You can go from, a, from being ecstatically filled with joy to great points of despair and desperation, all because of the status of a relationship. So our relationships are extremely important. It's extremely important that we know how to handle them. And the Bible is, in fact, a relationship book. In the pages of this book called the Scriptures, the Bible, we find guidelines and principles and precepts and promises that help us to know how to handle relationships in life. And today I'm going to share with you three guiding principles, three key thoughts that will help us to begin to lay a foundation for relationships from God's perspective. We'll continue this theme next weekend together as well. The first point that I'd like to share with you today is a very basic point. It seems to be sort of self-explanatory, but I do want to take just a little bit of time to talk about it. And the point is simply this. It takes wisdom to build better relationships. It takes wisdom to build better relationships. Our God is a relational God. He is, he is pro-relationships. We know that by His very nature. The Bible teaches us of God that He is Three in one, one in three, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three, in perfect unity. So God actually exists, the Godhead exists in relationship. The Father has relationship with the Son, the Son with the Father, the Father with the Spirit, the Spirit with the Son, the Spirit with the Father. There is this unity, there is this harmony, three in one, one in three. There are distinct personalities, but you can't separate them. And so God, by His very nature, is a relationship God. Because God is a relationship God, God knows how to help you and I experience better relationships. 
Notice the Scripture in Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. The Bible says that our houses, our relationships are built through wisdom. By wisdom, our houses, our relationships become strong through good sense, through knowledge. Our rooms, the rooms of our relationships, the interactions that we have with other people are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. That is the thing that will make your relationships rich is the wisdom of God. God knows how to help you have better relationships. Proverbs 14, verse 1, it relates to the female gender, the, 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 the woman of the house, but it applies to men as well. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. So wisdom builds and foolishness tears down. Say it with me. Wisdom builds and foolishness tears down. So the Bible teaches us that God has a wisdom for us that will build our relationships. And if we don't apply that wisdom, we end up walking in foolishness, which tears our relationships down. Now, we must understand how to use wisdom to navigate relationships, because God says He has wisdom for us, but we have to learn to apply it as we go through the different aspects of the relationships of life. I'm going to share with you four stages that every relationship goes through. These are not on your notes, but you may want to write them down. Four stages of every relationship, and you'll see why wisdom is needed in each one of them. The first stage of any relationship is what I will call the enchantment stage. There's no relationship that ever begins without some level of enchantment. That's attraction to another person. In a friendship, people form a friendship because there's some attraction there. That is, maybe we share the same interest. Maybe we, we both like football, or maybe we both like, both like cars, or maybe we both like whatever it may be. But there's some kindred dimension, some attraction that brings people together that enables you to have this sort of enchantment feeling that, that you have toward another person. It happens in romantic relationships. The first thing that happens between the man and, 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 and a male and female, if, there, if a relationship is going to form, there's an attraction that happens there. There's like, wow, I really like how she looks or how he looks, or I like something about them, and there's this, this feeling that happens. This is what we call the butterflies of relationships, and enchantment is always based on a high degree of emotions. It's basically what you're feeling at a moment. So you'll never engage with someone, as we'll talk about in a moment, without their first being the enchantment, the, intra- the attraction, something that's going on that charms you toward that other person. And by the way, in romantic relationships, this is the point when the feelings really start taking over. You can't talk to someone who is in an enchanted relationship because they're like their own drugs. They don't, they don't understand anything else. So, well, I'm in love. I just feel it all over, okay? And so even your, your mind begins to generate, your, your brain generates certain chemicals that cause you to feel certain things when you're in the enchantment period of a relationship. Now, you can't live here. This is, relationships never stay here, okay? They never stay here. For a relationship to continue to develop, it moves to the next stage, and that's called engagement. Now, I'm not talking about giving somebody a ring here, okay? I'm talking about interaction, okay? 
that you move from now that I sort of, I kind of like you and we have things in common or I'm attracted to you, that there's something now that we need to start engaging. This is when you start spending time together. You start learning something about the other person. There's interaction that goes on here and you begin to learn certain things about that person. They learn things about you. There's a give and take that starts to occur. And so the interaction or the engagement of the relationship begins. This is where you, be- you begin to use your mind a little bit more here, okay? You're moving beyond just the emotions to the mind. Let me get to know this person. Let me learn some things about them. Let me get some information that will inform me about who they are. And then there's a third stage of relationship that every relationship that's going to go anywhere will always go through, and that is the testing phase of a relationship. The testing phase is when you discover that you have differences with this other person. That now suddenly I thought this way and they seem to think this way and now we have, we have a difference. We have a conflict. You know, we thought we got along so well, but now we certainly run up against things that are, that are different now between us. And it doesn't quite feel as good as it felt before. It used to feel so good and so wonderful and all the, all the stars were, were shining, but now I don't see the stars. I don't feel the butterflies anymore. So it seems like things are getting a little bit difficult. And what I want you to see is that for any relationship to move forward, it will always go through testing periods, not just one, but multiple times throughout a relationship. There are going to be these testing moments where you hit differences between you and another person. And about three months from now, my wife and I will have been married for 41 years. 41 years, okay? You don't need to clap, okay? If you clap, clap for her. That's all you need to do, okay? And I'm going to be honest with you. You ready for a confession today? You ready? Last week, my wife and I had an argument. Can you believe that? Okay. I was totally right, too. Okay. Okay. But you would think that after 41 years, there would be no more arguments. Wouldn't you agree? And after I'm the pastor, okay? Right? But what you begin to realize as you go through relationships is you realize this is a part of life. It's not something abnormal. A lot of people get to a point of their relationship and there's some conflict that comes up and they think, oh, this is horrible. How long have you been married? Two weeks. Oh. That's when I tell them, don't worry. The first 41 years are the hardest. I promise you, okay? Okay. But people get all stressed out because stuff's going on in their relationships. Guess what? It's normal. Say it with me. It's normal, okay? You can't have a relationship with another person and not have some dimension of testing that's going to occur. There's going to be things that you're going to run up against. There will be conflicts that will happen. We'll talk about how to navigate those in a moment. But don't get all stressed out and think, it's just me. Our marriage is terrible. We're never going to make it. Oh, my goodness. We must be the only ones. No. The past has the same problem. We all have these problems, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But here's the thing I want you to see. We start out with enchantment. Oh, we're so enchanted with the person. Then we begin the engagement, the, the interaction with the person. And then there's these testing moments that begin to arise where we see our differences. And here's what happens. In the testing moment, you and I make choices. In every testing moment of a relationship, you'll make a choice to go in one of two directions. You'll make a choice to either distance or develop. If you don't navigate the testing moment of a relationship the way that you need to navigate it, 
what will happen is this. You'll begin to distance from the other person. You'll begin to put walls up in your life. You'll begin to pull yourself back emotionally or mentally or otherwise. Or you will begin to develop the relationship by investing in it. And when you invest in the relationship and work through these differences, this is where real relationships happen because through the developing, you become and develop into a mature relationship that gives you the very thing that you're wanting. All of us want, it's called intimacy. Everybody longs for intimacy. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about the feeling that I'm connected to another human being that cares about me and I care about them and we share something of a bond together. Okay? And you will never form true intimacy. Are you hearing me? You will never form true intimacy without moving past the testing, avoiding the distancing, and going into the developing of the relationship. That's what my wife and I have been doing for 41 years. We've been developing, okay? And the same is true for any marriage or any friendship that lasts for any length of time. God designed you to be in relationship so that you could develop, amen, okay? Because you can't develop by yourself. You can't be everything God wants you to be by yourself. You need people in your life that you're going to go through these challenging moments with because what's going to happen is going to help you grow your character and develop into the person that you want to be and ultimately discover the very thing that you're looking for deep in your soul, and that is intimacy in your heart and life. Now, here's one of the problems with our culture. Listen closely. One of the problems with our culture is our culture is looking for intimacy but here's what most of our culture will do they jump from the they try to jump from enchantment to intimacy through sexual engagement and I will, what they're doing is trying to bypass this whole process you know what oh, I'm so I think you're so amazing and so so beautiful and so whatever it might be I'm enchanted with you let's go to bed together so we can have intimacy let me tell you something this if any intimacy that forms here is a false intimacy based upon physical connection alone it will never satisfy you it never satisfies you to the core of your being because that's not really what you're looking for. That's why God told us not to do it. God is not just trying to give you a bunch of rules and regulations for your life. He's trying to tell you what's best for you. Can I get a little amen right here, okay? So God doesn't say these things, don't do this or don't do that, because God's after you and mad at you and trying to keep you from some fulfilling life. He knows how life works best. God knows what wisdom is, and God knows if you try to bypass this process while you're trying to get intimacy, what happens is you end up with an empty soul, okay? You find no real fulfillment on the inside, and so we have to make a choice in our life. When it comes to relationships, how are we going to handle them? Are we going to move from the enchantment part to the engagement part to the testing period, to the place that we're developing so that we can have intimacy in our interaction and out of that intimacy forms unity. And that's where the two, two become one. There's a forming, a bonding that occurs out of the intimacy of this kind of developing relationship. And I will tell you something, this never happens. Are you listening to me today? This never happens without one four-letter word. You know what that word is? You will never build a good marriage without work. You will never build a good friendship without work. 
You'll never build a good interaction with your children without work. Children, you'll never have a good interaction with your parents without putting in some work. Every relationship requires work. And God says that we need wisdom to know how to work our relationships the right way. Because what you're seeking to do through this work, you're trying to develop what I'm calling here today your RQ, your relationship quotient, your capacity to handle relationships well and to improve over time and to develop as a person. Can I ask you, what is your RQ? What is your relationship quotient? How much work are you putting into? to your relationships? When was the last time you studied something that helped you to understand if you're in a marriage, how to be a better husband or how to be a better wife, how to be a better friend? When was the last time you did something to try to improve this? See, don't just sit back and hope that it happens. No, you don't sit back and hope a relationship gets better. What do you do? You work to make it better. Let me give you one it, one, uh, one resource, if you haven't read this book, I would highly recommend that you read it. It's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Have you read that book before? If you haven't read the book, you need to get a copy of it. It looks like about 95% of us have never read it. You ought to go online, get that book, and devour it because it gives you relational intelligence. There are many other books that will help you to gain this as well. Let's go to the second point I want to build on today. Relationship peace is a byproduct of wisdom. Relationship peace is a byproduct of wisdom. Let me show you why this is connected here. So you need wisdom to build better relationships. Amen? Now, when you begin to build better relationships, what do you experience? Intimacy that brings about unity. And when there's unity, there's harmony. When there's unity, there's peace. And what do you want more than anything in your household? Peace, right? Okay. You want peace and harmony. What do you want at home? What do you want in your marriage? You want peace. What do you want in your friendships? You want peace. And so peace is a byproduct of wisdom. Let's take a look at Proverbs 17, verse 1. I love this verse. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Can you say amen to that? I'd rather live in a little shack somewhere and eat a little piece of bread, have a little bit of food that barely carries me through, but have peace in my environment than to live in a mansion and to have it filled with contention and strife. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20 says, but those who promote peace have joy. And so when you begin to develop this intimacy and unity, there comes this peace, and out of this peace will come joy as well. So joy speaks of fulfillment in your life. Paul, oh, excuse me, James, excuse me, the apostle talks about this in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read this from two translations. NIV first, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in, in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from, from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first. First of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, 
peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And listen to the New Living Translation. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from where above, first of all, is pure, it is also peace loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so what we want to do through wisdom in our relationships as we're developing and maturing and develop, developing intimacy and unity, the, role, the goal is that out of this will come a peaceful environment that we will live in, interact in, raise our kids in, that will be a healthy environment for our continued, to grow, continued growth. Now let me take you to the third point and tie this all together. The third point drives us to our problem. The third one is this, it is easier to start a conflict with someone than it is to end it. What are we saying here today? What do you need to have better relationships? Wisdom, right? What does wisdom lead to? Help me out, church. What is it? Peace, right? Are you with me? Let's start again. You're not, not with me. Here we go. What do we need to have better relationships? Wisdom, okay? God's wisdom. When we have wisdom, what does it produce? Peace. peace. What do we end up having more of than peace in our relationships? Conflict, right? War, right? If I were to take a, take, a, take a census here today or do a little survey here today, I would imagine that most of you would say that there's a certain percentage of time in the relationships of your life that you spend fighting with somebody. Whether it's your spouse or with your kids or with extended family members, or at the office, some kind of spat going on there, that you and I end up spending a significant portion of our lives in conflict. True? Is it true? You know why? Because every one of us have a problem. You know what our problem is? We're all sinful, and we're all selfish, and we're all stubborn. Thank you. (laughs) One guy agrees with me. But it's true about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he is talking to you right now. Go ahead and he's talking to you right now, okay? <laughs> Every one of us, we're sinful and we're selfish and we're stubborn. Every one of us. Is it true? Yes. It's true. Because we're sinful and selfish and stubborn, we're also foolish, Because sinfulness and selfishness and stubbornness make you foolish. Read your Bible, okay? And so what you do is when you come into a relationship, you bring your sinful, stubborn, selfish self into every relationship. And we like to think that the problem with the relationship is not not us, it's the other person. No, it's you. 
And things begin to change when you and I accept the responsibility that we're sinful and selfish and stubborn people. Because of that, we bring into our relationships this, this bent toward conflict. This bent toward messing things up instead of making things better. That's why as sinful, selfish, stubborn people, we need to get the wisdom of God and begin to apply the wisdom in relationships because only when we do that will things change. You can't wait for somebody else to get wise. You need to get wise. Okay. And when you start getting wiser, your relationships start getting better. Take a look with me at the scriptures here in Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 1. Let's see this wisdom versus foolishness. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. When you're engaging in a disagreement with someone and things are beginning to get a little hot, what, do you have, what is easier for you to do? Speak harsh words or to be gentle? What is easier? Of course, harsh words. Man, I got something to say to you. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind, okay? Now, always remember when you give somebody a piece of your mind, what do you have less of? Your mind, okay? All right, Just remember that, okay? So here you are in this situation. Now, something's come up. Now, foolishness says, okay, you came at me, I'm coming right back at you. You spoke something harsh to me, I'm going to give something harsh right back to you. That's foolishness. That's the sinful, selfish, stubborn me in the relationship. But the wisdom says, no, 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 time out. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And so I begin to move from the foolish to the wise by instead of using harsh words, what words do I use? Gentle words. Now, I've ceased to be a fool and I've started becoming a wiser person. Amen? Go to the next passage with me. Proverbs 17, verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. Is that not true? When someone, when you want to engage in an argument, they'll say something like this, well, you hurt my feelings. Well, you hurt mine too. Well, you hurt mine more than I, than my, I hurt yours, okay? And not only that, but you hurt mine last year as well, okay? One guy said, when my, my wife and I get into an argument, she becomes historical. Not hysterical, but historical, okay? And it's true for most of us. We start dragging everything in. It's a floodgate that opens up, Right? And the Bible says when you're engaged in a, in a dispute with someone, don't start opening up the floodgate. Instead, the Bible says that you are to stop before a dispute breaks out. Some of you need to go home this week and buy yourself a stop sign, okay? And use it for yourself first. Don't put it in the face of your spouse, okay? Use it for you, okay? Stop. I don't want to go there. I don't want this to be a part of the kind of interaction that we have. So again, you can be foolish and let the floodgate open up, or you can put a stop sign up and say, we just don't want to go there. Let's work on this in a different manner. Wisdom, amen? Now, this is the next passage. Anybody getting anything out of this today, all right? Look at verse 20 of Proverbs, chapter, chapter 20, verse 3. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Now read the rest with me aloud and loudly. Only fools insist on quarreling. What do fools insist on doing? Quarreling. What is quarreling? Arguing, okay? 
And so if you insist on continuing an argument, what does the Bible say you are? A fool. So avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. You know, for us, you know, I've got a fight to protect my honor. Okay. Well, the Bible says, no, when you avoid a fight, you're actually creating honor. Okay. See, it's the opposite of the way the world teaches. It's the wisdom of God that brings us. And so the Bible says you, you need to avoid those things in your life. Find ways to get around them. Notice Proverbs 26, verse 21. Proverbs 26, verse 21. Now, this one is to all the men here. So all the ladies, you can go ahead and stare down your man if you'd like to at this point in time. A quarrelsome man starts fights as easily as a match sets fire to paper. What kind of a man? You know what that means? A quarrelsome man is someone who's always carrying a quarrel around inside of them. They're just looking for an opportunity to let it out. I've met people like this before. Maybe you're like that. You carry a conflict around inside of you. You're ready for a fight all the time. Okay? The Bible says that a quarrelsome man, the scripture says, starts fights as easily as a match sets fire to paper. If I had a piece of paper here today and a simple match it would take very little for that piece of paper to combust with that match. And that's the way it is when we carry a quarrelsome spirit around inside of us. God wants to cleanse the quarrelsome spirit from your life. Now, all the men, you just heard the verse that came right at you. Now it's the lady's turn. So you can turn to your lady and let me read this verse. You're going to love it, okay? It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <laughs> Ladies, you had your opportunity a moment ago. It seems like the men are more excited about than you were, okay? Some of you guys will be home today, look up in the attic, you'll be putting a little cot out there. And, and so. That's in the Bible, okay, right? It's not just a man that can be quarrelsome, you know, a woman can be quarrelsome too, Amen. Carry it around inside, always stirred up on the inside, always something looking for a fight about. And the Bible says that's not wisdom. It's not the way that God wants you to live. And so here's this thing that to have better relationships, what do we need, folks? Wisdom. What do we need? Wisdom. wisdom. Don't just expect a relationship to work. You've got to have wisdom, okay? You've got to have wisdom to make a relationship work. It's not going to work without it. If you have wisdom, what will wisdom produce in your relationships? peace, okay? Now, the opposite of peace is conflict. And so, that's the problem. We all are sinful and selfish and stubborn, and so we have to accept the responsibility for that reality of who we are and not wait for somebody else to get wise, but we begin to we begin to gain wisdom ourselves, and then we begin to bring our wise self into our relationships, and there becomes an opportunity for peace to happen in those interactions. I want to conclude today with a question for you. Okay, One last question. I'm going to write two words on the board. My question to you today is, are you an instigator or are you a peacemaker? Which of the two are you? I didn't ask which of the two was your wife or your husband. I asked which of the two are you. 
The instigator, we read it a moment ago, and the Bible says the person who is the instigator is foolish, right? Have we not read that today? Right? The person who is the peacemaker, what are they? They are wise. And here's the good news. If you're this, you can become that. Amen? If you're that, please don't become this. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so grateful for the opportunity we had to study your word. We're thankful for the application of your word to our lives. Lord, it makes a difference in the way that we live. And we pray that today in the name of Jesus, as something we've heard would be carried with us from this place to a point of application. May we be wise in all of our interactions. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.